Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're glad to be back with you on this uh, on this Tuesday afternoon, talking about cybersecurity and manufacturing. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. I know Lou's got a, uh, a breaking news story for us. Lou, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, I do have a, a postscript to last week's show uh, first before I go into the news item. Uh, we did do a show last week about the uh, uh, Internet, the Industrial Internet of Things, uh, which was uh, really a fabulous uh, program. Uh, it gave us uh, some great insight into what's happening in perhaps the second Internet. And uh, it's all about the machines talking to machines and uh, the way our future is going. So I strongly recommend uh, to our manufacturing listeners and anybody for that matter that uh, you ought to turn to that show at mfgtalkradio.com and listen to uh, the comments that were made about the Internet of Things and the Industrial Internet of Things. Great stuff, uh, very advanced, uh, a real primer as to what what it's all about. So, uh, again, that's uh, mfgtalkradio.com. The news, the big news. As uh, Ed Sullivan used to say, the big show. Uh, the big show is next week. Uh, Tim and I and Manufacturing Talk Radio has been invited to the Institute of Supply Management 100th Anniversary Conference and Exhibit in Phoenix, uh, Arizona. And uh, we're going to be doing something uh, real special there, aside from the fact that we are going to have a uh, theater-like setup to be able to broadcast live and have an audience uh, witnessing it and listening to us and perhaps interacting with us. But additionally, we will be broadcasting uh, three days, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time on Monday, 1, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday, and uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Time and uh, 4 p.m., so we're going to have four shows. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Uh, We will be sending out emails, uh, and if anybody wants further information about those shows, uh, please go to mfgtalkradio.com, and we'll have it posted this afternoon. Uh, Tim, that uh, looks like it's it. We're going to have some great guests next week. Uh, Tom Derry, who's CEO of the Institute of Supply Management, is going to head us off. And then we're going to have Brad Holcomb and Tony Nieves, who is uh, doing the report on uh, business. So uh, we're going to have a busy week. Uh, and we're also going to be doing podcast interviews with some of the major companies. Uh, we're going to have the 30 under 30 from ThomasNet. Uh, I, I could go on and on and on, but that's not what today's show is about. So why don't I flip it back to you? All right. Uh, really, the purpose of today's show is to help the small and mid-sized manufacturer understand what's happening in the world of cybersecurity, what kind of threats they face, and really what they can do about it. And to that end, we have a very special guest on our show, Mr. Sid Snitkin. He's Vice President and General Manager of Enterprise Advisory Services with the ARC Advisory Group. Uh, ARC was founded in 1986 and is become the really the thought leader in manufacturing and supply chain solutions. Uh, Sid holds a Bachelor of Science and a Master's of Science in Physics from Carnegie Mellon University and an MBA and PhD in Operations Research and Artificial Intelligence from the University of Pittsburgh. So bright guy who's going to be talking to us today about cybersecurity and all the things going on in manufacturing. Sid, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome, sir. Oh, can I ask a question? Uh, sure. I'm sorry, I just I, thought of something. Well, whenever I, thought, you int- I thought we asked questions. <laughs> no, you do. But, <laughs> yeah. that, uh, you know, one of my favorite shows is Car Talk. I mean, I don't know if you listen to Car Talk. If not, bolts I recommend and, it. Nuts and bolts? 
Well, it's a, I, if you've never listened to it, listen to Car Talk. It's on NPR Radio, but it's it's actually replays of something. But there's these two guys that are brothers in this case, but they talk about cars. People call in and talk about cars and ask questions, and they seem to know everything. But anyhow, there's a lot of banter going back and forth. So, and as, as you were talking, because there's two of you, and I, and I think one of them is named Tom, and I forget the other one's name. It might be Lou, actually, not Tim. I know it's Tim, but I thought it was Tom and Lou, and. <laughs> But anyhow, and then I, it, as you were talking, I was thinking, manufacturing talk. I said, oh, maybe that's where you got it from. I don't know. But anyhow, it's a fantastic show. I'm not plugging it, It's but it's it's fantastic. <laughs> anyhow, so you'd enjoy so, it. It's very so humorous. It's actually very so humorous. So is ours. So. And uh, actually, Tim and I thought about referring to ourselves as nuts and bolts, uh, oh. <laughs> which would have been a takeoff from uh, Car Talk. Uh, oh, okay, so you know Car Talk. We do know Carta. Two great guys. Okay. They know everything about automobiles. Yeah, and they're funny. So. <laughs> they in, in this case, I'm the one who's nuts. So. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. I get that. And, I, and okay. I'm the one who's sort of funny. Thanks for bringing let's, it up. Let's talk about cybersecurity for a moment, because I know uh, the small and mid-sized manufacturers are all faced as all small and mid-sized businesses are, with the challenge of, you know, how do I secure my data? So let's talk about what kind of data to begin with, Sid, are they trying to secure? You know, where's the, where are the data piles or the, the data resources that they have to secure? Well, you know, um, at our, we just recently had a, we call them ARC forums in Orlando, Florida, and we had some workshops on cybersecurity and some sessions actually was a major theme. And during that, there was this very interesting presentation, usually in these discussions, just so you know, in the, particularly in industrial cybersecurity, which is focused on primarily protecting facilities or infrastructure and things like that. Um, but it was very refreshing because this was a presentation by a group in North Carolina. It's called the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, I think. But anyhow, it's a group. There's apparently there's 10,000 small manufacturers in North Carolina, which is a number that kind of surprised me, to be honest. But uh, anyhow, and one of their challenges is to help these companies with best practices, all kinds of manufacturing best practices and things. But one of the areas they're focusing on right now happens to be cybersecurity. And one of the things that I found, they unfortunately, they didn't really have an answer. I mean, so I'll get to your answer to your question, but, but it framed the issue very well, I thought. They did this survey of manufacturers, and I forget how many they company. They didn't do all 10,000, but they probably did several hundred as far as I know. Uh, and the companies ranged everywhere from three people, they said, I think, to 250 people in the organization. And I think the average was around 30 people. And they interviewed the people at the companies about their cybersecurity. And one of the big issues that came out was simply this issue of awareness. You know, so they asked them questions, you know, to, to get a sense of are they doing anything about it or are they concerned about it and so on. But one of the first questions, which gets to your question, was they said they, – they asked the basic question, which is how extensively do you rely upon IT systems and particularly IT systems that use the Internet in your business? And they asked it around, they, you know, so they said, do you use it in your sales and marketing? It was like 90% said certainly. Uh, do you use it in your purchasing? Probably 80%, 90% said certainly. Do you use it in your production? There was a lower number there, but it was still like 50 or 60%. It depended on the business that they were in, I'm sure. And these, by the way, were mostly uh, OEMs for larger manufacturers. Uh, then they also said, do you use it for finance? Do you do, you know, electronic do you do it with your shipping, with your invoicing, with your payments and things like that? And almost in every category, they said, of course they did. And then they asked a question and they said, well, how, how, how much would it impact you if you just lost this ability for, say, 48 hours? And they gave them a scale, I think it was one to five, you know, from not much of an effect all the way to extremely disruptive. And the score they got was like 4.8, Okay. So with respect to your specific question, all of those things have data or information. So there's two issues there. One is the fact that there is information. The other thing is that you have the ability to use those IT systems to conduct your business. And people have become so dependent on that today that if you lose that ability, it's not just the data. If you lose that ability, 
you're going to have real impact. And so, and, and you know, if it's only for two days, and and that's not an unheard of thing by any means. If you actually get any kind of an infection in your systems, um, some other questions they asked. Let me just mention it a little more. Was the idea of do you allow your employees to use personal devices? Do you allow your employees to communicate through the internet as part of their business? You know, a lot of people, it's the common thing. You know, they use their PCs to go and buy something at Amazon or something like that. And all of those activities really put the company at risk because they just naturally bring, that's where all of these viruses are and everything else. And so the issue, I think, is two here for small manufacturing. I'm focusing on small here. Uh, not even talking about their facilities. I mean, you know, what I do a lot is has to do with disruption of operations, not necessarily loss of data. Loss of data is more of a, a business level kind of issue as opposed to a production level. You know, the big thing in the business today, or big thing that, that people are concerned about, is somebody getting into your systems and causing a problem that actually causes your, your 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 operations to malfunction. There was a recent one over in Germany. This was a big company, but it, and you'll appreciate it because of your business, the steel business, Lugo. Because uh, I come from the steel industry, but th somehow they got uh, something into the systems that prevented them from shutting down the blast furnace. Well, they prevented them from controlling the blast furnace, which they then had to shut down. And if you know anything about blast furnaces, you don't—it's not an easy thing to restart a blast furnace and shut it down. So they lost production for days. And it was—I don't—in this case, it may have been a targeted attack and stuff. So, so. Uh, to answer your question, it's all the kind of information someone would have. Now, if you're an OEM, like for the aircraft, in, you know, aircraft or defense industry or something like that, there's certainly also all the engineering data that you might be getting from someone. There's an awful lot of that kind of theft going on these days. Uh, and the ones they go after a lot these days actually are the small manufacturers because the big manufacturers, I mean, they might go at a defense contractor, a Lockheed Martin or something like that. They certainly do, and they try to steal information. But those companies certainly have every kind of cybersecurity defense in place that you could possibly put. doesn't mean it will stop everything, but they're certainly very aware of it. Uh, but it's the smaller manufacturer who is the one that gets sent the drawings to manufacture to do things with, and, and a lot of theft goes on in that area as well. I'm sorry, I was kind of rambling here, so I don't know if I actually answered your question. No, this, is, but. Uh, this is great, because we experience what you're talking about all the time. Oh, really? So I, think, I think awareness is, is incredibly important. Is the enterprise, or are the, you know, really are the owners and the managers aware that they have vulnerability issues, simply because they exist? Now, I'm surprised by your comment and not surprised at the same time that most of the attacks are happening against middle market and small companies because they're more vulnerable. That's an interesting comment, Sid. I'd say it's a newer trend. I mean, at first, people would go after the big companies, but then people said, hey, this is great. Let me, there's a real interesting one that happened recently, and, and this fellow in this presentation also mentioned it, but it's kind of a well-known thing. I think you're probably aware of the attack on Target that happened last year, mm -hmm. where yeah. people went in and stole all the information on credit cards and, and personal information. And right. you know how that attack was done? They didn't go after Target specifically. They didn't go after their enterprise systems, their corporate systems. It actually came through the HVAC system. Now, that'll sound bizarre, all right? But within their corporate center, their HVAC systems, the control systems for the HVAC, are connected to their business systems because they monitor energy use and things like that. And the company that makes the HVAC, I don't know if it was the company that makes it or services it or whether it's the same company, but literally they ended up bringing viruses into the HVAC system that then got propagated into the enterprise system. Now, this wasn't just some casual attack. This was someone who specifically tailored an attack. They, they decided to go that way. So that's one case why I think it, and now people are becoming very aware of that. Another very famous one, again, you know, if, you, if you're in my business, you know it, but you might not have known about it. But there was a, a I, I'm sure you've heard of the uranium enrichment program in Iran. You know, that's the right. thing we're trying to negotiate right now. And back, I think it was in 2008, uh, there was a cyber attack on that plant, which people claim it was our government and Israel combined, but no one knows for sure. But 
the way they actually got into that system, now you can imagine this was a very highly secured system in, in Iran. And they actually went, and they had to get in, and so they actually attacked the control systems. And what they were doing was changing the controls for the, the centrifuges, which rotate, I think, at 100,000 RPM. There are these tanks with, with devices inside, like fans or stirs, that, that, us, that run at that speed, these very high speeds. So they actually got into the control system and changed the programming of the controllers to periodically accelerate these devices. They also controlled the pressure system and things like that. And they, even worse than that, this was extremely sophisticated because not only did they cause these disruptions, so whoever's in the plant, they saw this thing, and it was destroying these centrifuges. Uh, but they actually went in and changed the way the operator views it. So the operator's looking at their screens of feedback. You know, everybody has something with, you know, little vessels and things like that that you see diagrams of the plant and all the values and pressures and stuff. They literally got in and changed the software from that so that the displays were making everything look like it was running perfectly. It was just that these things were being destroyed. Now, the interesting thing in that one, again, they decided, whoever it was, they tried to get into the plant, but with this security, there was no possible way to get a virus directly into the plant. So what they did is they went to the contractors who built the facilities and the control systems in this case, and they did two things. First, they went in and they stole the information about the control systems because in order to do something like what I just described, I mean, I'm an, I'm an old electrical engineer, automation engineer, so I used to design systems like this. Not, not uranium enrichment, but for steel industry. And you really have to know exactly what the, the system is, the equipment, the types of control systems. So to get that information, they went to the company that designed it for the Iranians, which happens to be another Iranian company, by the way, but which was using equipment from Germany. And, and so they got in and stole all of this technical information about the facility. Then they infected that company's uh, serv the, the, the servicemen, they infected their laptops with this virus. So when the servicemen went there and connected up to service the equipment, it got into the system. So those are two examples of where people realize that there's a lot that I'll call them smaller manufacturers and service companies. Uh, the, the role they play in supporting these big plants and the fact that they're much less secure focused security focus so it's much easier to get into those systems and then people are i think most people are very well aware of that today uh sid let me ask you then based on these stories and actually i i have a, no, they're frightening a short, aren't they? they are frightening and uh actually i i have a story that i just heard the, last week and i'm not sure if this is cybersecurity or just plain old uh, uh intrigue and theft and that was uh in china where uh, uh, Land Rover installed mm -hmm. a $1.8 billion manufacturing plant to build Land Rovers in China. Last week, or the week before, was the China Auto Show, and Land Rover was there with their new car, along with a Chinese manufacturer that had a car called Land Wind, and it was an exact mm -hmm. replica of... <laughs> Uh, Land Rover. So here the Chinese allow them to build a $2 billion plant, employ the Chinese, then they steal the plants and come out with a car that's 30-40% cheaper. So uh, this, I would think that this borders on cybersecurity because somewhere along the line they did use electronics. And I, I guess the, the question that I have for you in conjunction with the stories that you had uh, repeated is what what is it that companies should be doing right now to protect themselves after they do an assessment uh how do they go about protecting themselves for some period of time until the hackers figure out a way to get around whatever it is that you built but this is uh you know the theme of the show is uh, cybersecurity possible or impossible so you're going you're going to have to answer that question by the end of the show <laughs> let me tell you um the way you described that, one thing that is happening a lot, and I mean I see in my own business, um, is I would call it cyber espionage. 
you know what what a lot of people and it was actually a you know revelation for me when it finally dawned on me I sometimes I can be rather slow but you know uh when somebody wants to attack another business or attack another company you know years ago I guess I never did this but they would hire people to sneak into your offices at night with these little miniature cameras and take photographs and things you know just like the CIA or stuff we hear about you know in the wars and stuff like that people doing literally espionage to learn about a company and things like that. That's exactly what's happening today. The only difference is all of the information you now have stored in files, and people are going and trying to get in and steal that information. So it's a different mechanism for doing the same type of espionage that was done before. And in that sense, and, and you know, this impossible possible thing, for those kinds of things, if there's someone, personally, I think, if there's someone who is absolutely intent, you know, focused on getting at your information, I think it would be incredibly hard to stop that. Uh, not so much, now let me, after saying that, so I don't want to say it's impossible, I don't want to discourage anybody here, but it, from a technical perspective, everybody kind of looks for a technical answer, like where, what, what thing do I buy to put in? You know, do I put in more antivirus software? Do I, there's all kinds of technologies or new firewalls and all that. You need all of that, certainly, and I think it depends on what you do, whether you would do that or how much you would spend on that and how extensive you do that. You know, and, and it depends on your business and your systems and so how you would design that. But that's literally only one part of it. A big thing today, and I think something people can do something about, is a lot of problems are through internal threats, they call it. You know, it, it might be someone doing espionage. It, I mean, and somebody goes in and they find someone in the company and they hook up with that person and they pay them money, I guess, to go and do stuff. Uh, so one thing is, you know, anything you can do to limit the way people can use systems now, I mean, and there's lots of ways to do that. I happen to be working with a client that I can't mention their name, but it's a very well-known company um, where, you know, they, they, they do a lot of stuff to just tell people, listen, if you go in and look at something, you're, we're going to know it. So they, and, they, and they make a point. It's cute. They have little banners that come up on their screens to say, you know, just be aware that we may be watching what you're doing. And those kinds of things, you know, keep people from doing it and stuff like that. So... One issue is to train people to be secure. One thing is to put in things and – I don't want to just say policies. I mean, there are policies on how people can behave, but it's also making sure they follow those policies and things like that. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, and then the other thing – let me just mention another thing that happens is sometimes it's also just accidental – I mean, you know, people will go in and just make mistakes or do stuff they shouldn't do and things like that. So anything you can do – oh, I know what I was going to say. It's one thing is to protect someone from intentionally trying to do something, just to – you know, by putting in things to limit what they can do, a lot more authorization, monitoring of passwords, actually making sure that people use the passwords. I happen to teach at a university part-time, a local university, and it's funny. Uh, here's a university, and I teach a course. I teach courses in statistics, which usually when I say that, most people, it looks like they bit a lemon. I mean, you know, their face turns. <laughs> but, but so, I mean, I, who wants to steal what I do, you know? But still, it's funny. Because it's a state-run university, every three months I have to change my password. And, you know, and they have all these rules, very rigid rules, that the password has to have uppercase, lowercase, numbers, exclamation, you know, all kinds of special characters and things like that, just to make it a very hard password to break. So so they take it very seriously. Uh, and, and like in these industries, not in manufacturing, but like in healthcare and stuff, you know, we've probably all seen the HIPAA stuff. You know, I was just at a doctor the other day, and, you know, she's sitting there. I mean, she spends all their time on the computers anymore, and they're frustrated by it because there's so much information. But, And one reason they have to do it and be very protective of it is the HIPAA rules and things like that. But so one thing is to put in those kind of policies to make sure people use them and, and not to just allow people to leave passwords written. It's very common today. I mean, you can go and they have lots of plants, and you'll still see on – screens and things like that people have their passwords written right there i hate to say it my wife does that on her computer <laughs> so 
I mean, exactly. You know, if somebody broke into her house, they would have everything because she has her passwords all over the place. <laughs> uh, and I can't get her to use a difficult password, by the way. But so one thing is to do those types of things to block those kinds of attacks, if you want to, or those entry points. The other thing I think is just security awareness. That's another thing that's I think overlooked a lot, but yet it's starting to get a lot more recognition. Is awareness training. You know, again, at this university, and again, I find it personally humorous that it's a university where I get the best cybersecurity. Um, but, you know, we have to, I have to go through and take a course every year and go refresh your course on cybersecurity awareness. And it's really just to sensitize people to the fact that there are people out there, you know, who are, could steal your passwords. So don't write your passwords down. Pick good passwords. Don't tell people your passwords. When you're on a screen, make sure you log off the screen and don't let it sit there so that somebody who doesn't, you know, can come up and just use your account and stuff like that. So I think those two things help a lot to limit the ability of someone to attack your systems. Now, that's, I think, the, the human side of it, and I think that's a very, very important thing today. You know, from a technology perspective, you know, certainly you should be putting in firewalls and antivirus. Antivirus softwares kind of fallen a little in popularity these days because the antivirus software stops the known viruses, but if someone creates a new one, it doesn't know it, and so it doesn't stop it. So there's other technologies like it's called application whitelisting and things like that. Um, so one thing is those type of defensive type of software. The other thing is... Um, software or it's usually hardware and software that actually keeps track of things so that if you do have a problem that's the other aspect of cybersecurity if something does occur if somebody does get into your systems that's bad enough but you want to make sure you know that they got in there because the faster that you can do something about that the less damage will be done you know if somebody gets in if a virus actually gets in uh, to your systems and you detect it before they've actually stolen information, you can stop the theft. So, you know, I don't know if you, one thing I do and I actually teach a course in is risk management. And, and when you talk about risks, there's the likelihood of something happening and then there's the impact of it. And you want to try to limit both of those. Likelihood is like blocking the, the, the intrusion. Impact, minimizing that, you do by finding something so you're very agile as to that you can detect the intrusion, and then you can do something about it. And, and that's probably the last thing that people don't do, unfortunately. And, I, and, again, I know it's difficult for small manufacturers because, you know, there's limited resources people have. I mean, I'm sure, Lou, you don't sit all day and think about cybersecurity. You have other uh, things on, on your mind. On a, on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I, used to be, I used to run a small company myself, so maybe about 200 people. Uh, and I don't remember everything about cybersecurity. I mean, I was more worried about selling something was probably the main thing. Uh, but uh, is, you know, having some kind of a policy in place that if something does happen, what are you going to do about it? You know what I mean? Say you find out that there's theft. You've got to have a, something in place so that people know what to do again, and I think doing that uh, responsively, to be very responsive and quick at that, will really help to minimize that, that impact of any cyber attack. So let me ask you, Sid, are so there long -winded, today... Long-winded comments to your question. <laughs> are, are there uh, today uh, specialist consultants uh, who do that, come into a company and do a uh, cybersecurity uh, uh, assessment uh, telling you what's, what's good, what's bad, and what you need to do? You know, Absolutely. And, and lots, what? Well, there's a real shortage. Let me clarify something here, too, and make a comment about something. Cybersecurity, there's lots of cybersecurity, lots of areas of cybersecurity. One is more around these business systems, the commercial-type stuff, which small companies, now a small manufacturer has both of these, by the way. One is more focused on the information, and the other, and that's more the enterprise-type systems and things like that. Another group, which is really an IT-focused issue. The other side is on the facilities and protecting the facilities from attacks like I mentioned, like a Stuxnet attack or something like that. And in both those areas, now, 
there is a shortage, a big shortage of cybersecurity people today. You know, maybe it's because we have all our, you know, all these countries are hiring their cybersecurity people and having them making attacks on people rather than defending. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's the reason. I mean, I, I happen to live near Washington, D.C. I live in Fredericksburg, Virginia, which is like 60 miles south. And everybody here is, works for the government in one way or another. And, you know, the government, I see ads all the time. They're having a real issue trying to figure out how they're going to hire people. This is both the the, the federal government, but also the defense departments, really. They, you know, they're starting to offer big bonuses and things like that to get people. So there's a shortage of real, real specialists for that. But with that said, there are still, you know, lots of places you can go to get support. Like if you have somebody that does your IT support, many of them today, like a systems integrator or something like that, many of them – they understand cybersecurity well enough to go in and make sure that to do an assessment, to make sure that you have at least the basic kind of things in place. There are strategies, standard kind of recommendations, uh, both in the IT world and in the automation world. Um, you know, in the automation world, there's a real big one today. It's called the IS, uh, IEC 62443 spec. And it was developed by the ISA. And, and if you read those specs, it's just really telling you you should segment your systems and put firewalls in and try to build secure areas and, and use antivirus, and, you know, but basic things. But but well, people Sid, can go in and do name? assessments on that. Sid, what was the name of that again? Uh, it's called IEC 62443. And it was originally – it was also called ISA 99 for years, and then ISA and the IEC got together, and they combined it. So it's an ISO spec. It's a global spec, or standard, excuse me, and it's a whole series of standards. And that, by the way, you know, it's not just what you can physically do in the technology. It also has things in there about putting together a strategy from an organizational perspective, best practices on things like managing passwords and things like that. So it's a very good resource, the ISA, and this is a very good resource. Um, you know, the government is doing a lot in this area. If you go to, there's, within the government, within the Department of Homeland Security, there's a group called CERT, C-E-R-T, that stands for Computer Emergency Readiness Task Force or something like that. And that they are focused on – they're the ones that get called in when a target gets attacked or something like that. Uh, and they provide resources to people to help solve these – address these kind of issues. They also do a lot of education. They, they pass out a lot of information. They have tools for doing self-assessments and things like that. At the same time, so that's called CERT, within CERT. There is a special group called ICS CERT, and the ICS stands for Industrial Control Systems. And within ICS CERT, they also have standards. They have a tool called CSET, C-S-E-T, and it's for self-assessments. And it really goes through and it, it asks, you know, it, it gives you a checklist of things you should be looking at and saying, how am I, do, I, do I do this, do I do that, things like that. Uh, they'll even come in and do it for you. They'll even help. The government is happy to help with people do this. Um, but and then the in there, they'll have a bunch of standards. They, you know, they'll say, if you aren't doing it, you should look at this standard and look at this standard to do it. Now, their you focus the is more around control systems and things. You mean the government actually shows up and says, hi, we're from the government. We're here to help you? You know, it's funny. I was just there was at our at our conference. Every for the past few years, we've actually had DHS come in and give give uh, workshops on their on what they do, as well as give updates on the kind of incidents that are occurring and things like that. So it's very informative. People, it's been very popular. Um, but this year, we had them doing it, and we also had with something called the Automation Federation. I don't know if you know that. Uh, it's it's actually a group that's kind of a umbrella group that was started by what's called the ISA, Instrument Society of America. Well, I think they changed that name. That's what it used to be called. But anyhow, they uh, they did a workshop for us. And in that, they brought in someone from the FBI. That was very interesting. It was one of the best talks. Unfortunately, I got pulled out in the middle. But but the, the, 
fellow was talking about how he goes and they investigate crimes. I mean, the, so the FBI has this. Now, this is when something actually becomes a criminal, that it gets determined that it's a criminal, uh, if, that there's criminality involved in this intrusion in some way. Then the FBI will come in and investigate it. And this person who spoke was very good. And he was telling stories about how part of his job might be someone might hire him to do kind of an assessment. I think it's assessments. I don't know if they hire them or they go to the FBI to try it, but usually it's related to an incident. But anyhow, he mentioned how easy it is, and this is the kind of thing where the people come in again. Well, it's, it's a people law, very much a people issue. He told two things. One was he somebody somehow he mentioned how when he does assessments, what he'll often do, what he has done, He'll call up your company, like your company, Lou, and he'll get the secretary, whoever's on the phone, and he'll say, hey, hi, I'm from IT. I'm Joe from IT, and I, I was needed to do something, and I left, and so I need to do it over the phone. Can you give me your password and your login so that I can send it to you so you can do it for me or something like that, some little story? Like that. He says 80% of the time they'll give him that information. <laughs> Very tricky. And then the other one that they do and he says he's done, again, many times. He'll walk into the, the offices, and he'll say he's from Verizon or Comcast or whoever you use. And nobody ever questions him. He goes in, he uses the systems and everything else. Uh, so, so we're going to take a, a quick commercial break here, and we'll be back uh, shortly. But uh, this is a terrific conversation with uh, Sid Snitkin, who's vice president and GM of Enterprise Services at the ARC Advisory Group. And we'll be back after a short commercial break. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification, fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're back at Manufacturing Talk Radio talking about cybersecurity and manufacturing. We have Sid Snitkin with us, who is Vice President and General Manager of Enterprise Services at the ARC Advisory Group. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and we've been having kind of a lively conversation on what manufacturers can do to protect themselves. Uh, Sid, quick question for you. We hear about uh, Home Depot and Target and Sony and the Iran issue uh, and, the, and the presumption may be that manufacturers and supply chains either are not attacked or they're pretty secure. Is, would that be a good assumption? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, we, we hear about those other ones because those are big ones and they affect everyone. 
you know, so ones that's what makes the news, the ones that uh, seem to have very broad impact and things like that. But, you know, I mentioned this one group, uh, ICS CERT, before the, mm-hmm. the, the, this break there. And, you know, they produce a report every year, which is incidents. Now, what it is, last year they reported on 245 incidents. And these were just incidents that they were asked to assist with in diagnosing, helping to find out what caused it, to see if it was still in there, to help clear it up. Uh, Everybody in the industry says that's just literally the tip of the iceberg. There's all kinds of attacks and certainly threats. I read one the other day. Now, I thought this was a little ridiculous, but, but it had like 14 million last year. Now, these were intrusions. It was a company that makes firewalls, and they collect data on the number of viruses and things like that that they block. And so it was that kind of a thing. But this was serious because it was, I think it was in the power industry, because the power industry is a big uh, target for a lot of things. And this was attacking equipment and stuff like that. So so one thing, so anyhow, ICS CERT just alone, and this was on control systems, not even talking about the business systems of, of enterprise companies, small manufacturers and things like that. And, you know, those 245, those are ones that it ranges all over the place. A lot of it, it, there aren't so many because it just doesn't show up. Well, what I was going to say first, though, is one reason they're so unreported, it would be like right now if I asked Lou about attacks on your company. Right. You might mention that you do see people trying to attack your company, but not many companies today, and this is a big problem I have as a researcher in this area, want to talk about the fact that they have their systems have been compromised or something like that. Right. I mean, you know, your customers could lose a lot of confidence in you if they can't trust that you're going to take care of the information that they give you. And I'm sure you do your best to do that. So people are very reluctant to talk about those things. And the same thing is true in the commercial world. I have no doubt that, you know, companies are attacked on a regular basis, but they're just very reluctant to mention that. So that's a big problem in this thing. So it's very hard to judge, unless you're in the industry and, and involved in it a lot, how many attacks there really are. But there's actually a lot that go on. So, so uh, you know, it's a very well-known thing, I would say. And, it, and it's the sad thing is it's growing a lot well, more think, than you might think. I, I think the bad, sad thing is that, uh, you know, dealing with manufacturers uh, as we do at All Metals and Forge Group uh, on a on a daily basis, I mean, we still have customers that when you want to send them a quote, uh, you have to call them up and tell them to hang up their phone and put their mm-hmm. fax machine on so that you can send them a quote. So that level of uh, technology still exists out there. And those people, they don't have a clue what cybersecurity means. Uh, and uh, I, I think the problem is uh, way, way larger than one might believe. Well, you Especially know, would you just – I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Go ahead. Oh, what I was going to say, it was interesting you mentioned that because I have people who would t- say that they're the smart ones. You know, nobody can attack a fax or nobody's <laughs> going to try to attack a fax. <laughs> You know, or you write it in paper. I mean, you do have people that that are very happy. I have people that have control systems, and they have, like, Windows 95 or something like that, very old Windows that has no security in essence. But their thinking is, well, we're safer than the ones that have the newer ones because nobody's going to develop a virus to come after the old ones. Who's going to do that because there aren't that many out there? And there is that issue that, one, you know, uh, the – People tend to the, the the I don't want to say that this cyber espionage that we were talking about before. You know, someone again he he would figure out he would figure out what your systems have and everything else before he would even structure something to go after what he's doing. And that takes a lot of effort and time, so they have to have a specific reason to want to do that. But these people that just you know take advantage uh, what's uh, I can't think of the word right now, but, you know, they just take advantage of, of a certain situation to try to exploit and get whatever they can get. They tend to develop it for the more popular operating systems and things like that. So so actually some yeah. people would say that's a lot. So maybe if you go back to paper and pencil, then, you know, you'll be safe. But, yeah, right. but, but you know, on the other side of that, of course, and I'm sure that's why you don't do it in the way you describe that, you know, clearly that's a pain for you from a business perspective. 
when you have to be sending faxes and creating the faxes or doing stuff by hand and transcribing and all that. There's a lot of inefficiencies there. So it's this real trade-off that happens. Sid, now we have the industrial Internet of Things, which we talked about on our show um, last week or the week before, and all of the connected devices that are going to be generating data either into the corporate mainframe or into the cloud. Uh, are we now introducing more weakness points, or are we becoming more secure because the makers of those devices are more security conscious? Uh you know, I, I, the way I would—that's a very big worry. You know, the, one of the big things, concerns with the industrial Internet of Things is cybersecurity. Everybody will say that, uh, and I think in the short term, there's a real problem there. Because uh, when you think about it, uh, people who are building things like—I used to manu- manufacture equipment, rolling mill equipment for steel and and for aluminum and metals in general—and we had a service business. And, you know, we saw a lot of advantage if we could put something on that machine to help us troubleshoot it from a distance and things like that. That's a real opportunity for us. And the company I was running at the time, and if I were still there, that we weren't cybersecurity conscious people. I mean, we were building machinery, you know, and we had people that did the automation, but we just wanted them to automate the thing. We didn't want to go and build a fancy control system. So a lot of the people who are using that type of equipment and building that type of equipment at the moment are not security conscious. So as people start to adopt that, and I think there is a lot of good business drivers, reasons to do that, um, there's going to be a problem. It's going to grow very quickly, very quickly. It's It's almost exponential kind of a growth in the problem. But on the other hand, that's a short term issue. I think if you look from the long term, uh, at the same time, because everybody's aware of that, we're seeing people start to talk more about building secure devices. One of the things that's a big issue, again, this is down in the control system kind of world, but, you know, if you have a plant, most plants in the past, you you know, most plants have perimeters around them and have some kind of security. You know, it varies on the business, I fear, but but, you know, have some kind of physical security. And, you you know, you have something that's constrained. It has a perimeter to it. And the same thing is true with the control systems within the plant and the networks and things like that. So there's a way that someone can block messages. They can block attacks at the entry points. And right now, as you just mentioned, I mean, there's a limited number of entry points. As we get to the Internet of Things, we're going to have a lot more entry points. And, but the reality is a lot of the equipment within the plants, within these perimeters, are not secure today, and people are going to continue to use them. One thing, with, particularly with control equipment, is, you know, the lifetime is 20, 30 years. So you, you, typical, I mean, you find lots of equipment out there that's old now that people are not going to replace because of cybersecurity. But, but that's the only answer to the problem is to start securing the individual devices because as you start to expose these individual devices with Internet of Things, the industrial Internet of Things, you have to start protecting at the device and not try to rely upon perimeters and things like that. The perimeter is the device. So people are becoming a lot more aware of that, and there are groups like it's called ISA Secure. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's – it was something kind of an adjunct to that standard I mentioned before, the IEC 62443. Uh, that same group, a kind of a spin-off of that, people says now we have to start focusing on securing devices. So they've developed a set of standards for manufacturers. Now, these are manufacturers of process equipment, uh, control equipment, PLCs, things like that. With where they have standards where they will certify the device and say that it is secure. And what that means is it's at least secure for basic kind of attacks and things like that. It doesn't accept crazy messages. It blocks things that shouldn't be going to it and stuff like that. So they've developed these standards and and a certification program. And there's people in the business now who do the certification for them. They have used third parties for that. So you can go to those companies and get your device certified. And we're starting to see more and more of that happening. So, and I think, and, and this organization, a big driver for it, and what they're pushing for is to get the major 
manufacturers. Now, this might be like an ExxonMobil or a Dow Chemical or, or big companies, but small manufacturers will benefit from it. And, you know, there's, I don't know if there's a clear line between small and big. The, just to say we're only going to buy devices that are certified ISA secure. That then drives the suppliers to build ISA secure devices. I liken it to uh, – I heard during the break when you had the sponsors there, uh, you know, the comment, I guess, that was from Lou's company about being ISO 9001. And if you think of why that is so important, it's because customers have become where they're starting to demand that. So we do see that companies are starting to ask for that. Now, unfortunately, there aren't that many devices that are ISA secure. But – you're starting to demand that. And as that grows, I think we're going to end up with more secure devices. And when that happens, I think we'll end up with better security overall. So long answer to a simple question, I guess. Short term, uh, it's a big to, problem. Long term, it's good. Sid, to refer back to your comment about the ISO 9001, uh, it's just, and that was just in 1992. Uh, mm-hmm. that we were first certified, and that was only about three years after ISO began. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll never forget that I had uh, friendly and not-so-friendly uh, competitors who knew we were going after our ISO uh, registration. Uh, their attitude was, well, you know, why are, why are you going to go for that ISO? Why are you going to allow yourself to be dictated to by a foreign country, meaning Switzerland? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, my attitude about it at that time and, and still is that, uh, either you're going to become ISOed or you're not going to be in business. And uh, to, to uh, support the statement that you just made about manufacturers demanding it and requiring it, uh, it's almost to the point where you cannot do business without an ISO registration. The first thing that a new potential client or customer asks for is your certificate, certification. So, uh, And we've been doing that now for you know over 20 years. Uh, so it does have uh, a very valid uh, and strong uh, uh, value in the marketplace, uh, as I'm sure these other certifications that you're talking about either does or will. Mm-hmm. And they're different. I mean, because I went through a very similar thing around the same time, by the way, when I was running this other company. Uh, it was I, I was running an American group division of a European company, and it was one that was just acquired, and one of the first things we did was to make sure it was ISO 9000. I, I, somehow I thought it was 9000 at the time, but it was probably 9001, um, to make to to make it so that we could be certified that way because they considered it so important. And I remember the value of that. Again, I, to be honest, I was thinking like a lot of your competitors were. I was saying, oh, this is costing so much money, but it certainly turned out to be well worth it. And Now, with the case of these these devices, it's it, it's kind of like that in the sense that people are demanding it, but then it's also kind of almost like a UL testing kind of a thing because you're talking about a device. But actually, let me just comment on that. There's two aspects to that type of certification. One is that the device itself is certified, which would be like maybe UL testing kind of a thought, you know, to say it's safe and everything. In this case, it's secure. The other part of the test is that they have to they go through a an assessment and an audit and a certification that the procedures they use, the processes they use and the procedures they use in designing the devices, both from a hardware and a software perspective, are secure. There's what's called a secure device life cycle process these days. Kind of like, you know, manufacturing processes in a sense. And they have to demonstrate that their all of their systems are follow such a process. So it's very it's very similar in that way. And so I think in the long run, as people start, but the only thing that's going to drive that, as you saw, is when the companies that you sell to are going to demand it. So, but I see that happening more and more. So, uh, Sid, we're we're coming up uh, close to the near the end of the show, and I do want to mention before uh, we do a final comments and wrap up that two of your uh, papers. Uh, one, securing the Internet of Things and the future of industrial cybersecurity. Both of them are on our website where the player is, where all of you who are listening to the show, if you go back in there, you'll be able to uh, link and or uh, download these reports. 
there's one other one uh, by a, a Steve Banker, who's a supply chain expert at Park Advisory, who wrote a short article, If Preventing Cybersecurity Attack is Impossible. Uh, these uh, I did read both of these, and they're they're chock full of uh, information, and uh, it's it's a it's it's free. You don't have to. There's no payment. There's no email address. Just go in, download it, and uh, enjoy the reading and uh, uh, help protect your uh, protect your company. Uh, Tim, Sid, is there anything you would like to uh, share with our audience in the last uh, two minutes that we've got here? including your website, any additional information they might want to get and how to get in touch with you? Oh, yeah. Well, if you go to our website, which is www.arcweb.com, if you go there, you'll see that we have a a whole site dedicated towards uh, cybersecurity, industrial cybersecurity. And two things there. We post papers like the ones you just mentioned. as well as uh, actually, I have a little blog there, but it's it's it, I, I have a lazy blog, I'll call it. I don't necessarily. I mean, I read a lot of things, as you might imagine, in my business. And when I find something interesting, I post the link to it there. So, uh, and I probably have, I have hundreds of links there. So, and these were things that I thought were interesting, and many of them are, I think, would be interesting to small manufacturers. So I've kind of done the filtering for a lot of people. Uh, so I'd mention that. The other thing I'd mention. Is uh, and this I guess is promotional, but you know we do have these events, and we have actually we're a global company, so we have the events in uh, Orlando every year is our, our main event, but then we also have events in Germany, we have an event in Japan, we have an event in China, uh, and in India, and at those events we have a lot of discussions on cybersecurity, and the thing that I would just why I recommend that type of stuff that people think about that is one thing that people always report back to us is the networking they get from these events. So this kind of discussion we're having right now happens all the time during our events. So after the cybersecurity sessions, you get a bunch of people sitting in the room listening to presentations, talks. They go up and they talk to the experts. And then that night they get together over a cocktail and they, you know, or lunch, dinner or whatever we have, and you just hear the discussion going on and on and on. And they share their problems. They share what they're doing and stuff like that. And I think that's incredibly valuable in this area in particular. Then you'll find out what you should do. <laughs> I understand that uh, your show there's going to be a show in February in Orlando. Is that correct? Yes, yes. We yeah, have I've that every a, year. Yeah, I've heard a rumor that uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio might be there uh, broadcasting. Oh, that'd live. be wonderful. Yeah, I heard. That'd be I wonderful. heard that. I heard that rumor. So perhaps oh, we'll get. I, to, uh, I hadn't actually. No, I did. <laughs> so I'm very happy to hear that. Well, sometimes you have to go on the air to hear about your own company. <laughs> <laughs> But that would be very, very good. Good. I good. think you'll find. I mean, you'll find it's a very interesting event. Uh, I'm already fascinated by the show we've had today, so, and I and I just want to thank you, Sid. Um, and uh, just for our listeners, uh, I wanted to remind them that in case they haven't heard this whole show, uh, that on mfgtalkradio.com, in about fifteen or twenty minutes, this show will be. Uh, put up on the podcast, and you'll be able to hear it uh, uh, live in podcast. So, uh, Tim, back to you. Thank you very much, Lou. And we certainly have enjoyed having Sid on the show. He's provided us with a wealth of information. As Lou mentioned, the show will be uh, downloadable as a podcast. You can listen to it at your convenience on your smartphone or your iPhone, plug it into your car while you're driving home from work. You can also follow us uh, on Twitter at MFG Talk Radio, or you can hear any of our previous shows at mfgtalkradio.com. If you would like to send a question to either myself or to Lou, we would be happy to hear from any of our listeners. Please send us an email at info at mfgtalkradio.com. And we have enjoyed this particular show. We will probably follow it up with some additional shows on cybersecurity as the industrial Internet of Things begins to grow across the country. We'll be hearing more about that, I'm sure, down in Orlando next February. And at our show next week in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, at the ISM conference, we're going to be talking about supply chain management, and this will be one of the topics that gets uh, thrown around there. 
Until then, this has been Manufacturing Talk Radio, the voice of manufacturing globally. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. Either my hair or the microphone. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>